How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law, Thomas McCoy, and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. (laughs) Very nice. Ahoy, mate. Ahoy, ahoy. I I was really, that was great. You know, Mark, I know that you are a bicyclist and and fit and doing all those things. It really is reflecting in your vocal tone. So again, I just want to remind all of the listeners, I am not a bicyclist. I'm a fundraiser who rides a bike to raise funds for cancer. I am not a cyclist. I'm not sure I even enjoy it that much, Dr. Joe, to be honest with you. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But if it's helping my vocals, I'm down. I am. I'm in. No, you I'm sound in. you sound really good. Oh, uh, ho, ho, ho. Right. Thomas, did you pick that one up? Yeah. Cue that one for the unfortunately for the yeah. Patreon folks. They love right. the puns. Yeah, I'm just gearing up. I'm just having fun up. with puns. I'm just gearing up. Gearing up. Oh, I, heard, I, I, I heard you the first time. <laughs> I didn't. I'm glad he said it twice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just peddling my stuff. That's all. Oh, so- buddy. Keep going. Yeah, Come on. I'm, I know. I, 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 I'm going to say, Tom, how have you been doing? I'm going to, I'm going to uh, so sit down. Well, I'm not doing all right, Dr. Joe. I mean, I always get a little, let's say homesick in the summer with the nice weather because I yearn for the ocean. Mm. Something about being on a vessel and being a part of that little tribe mm. is so comforting. Even when you hate the people you're working with. Huh. Yeah, we, we can certainly explore that. And perhaps we should. With that in mind, can you introduce our guest for tonight? Okay, we go back quite a ways now. She is an amazing human being, an awesome captain. I got a thumbs up and a YouTube star in the making and host of the Funny Boat podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, kings, queens, and they emperors, Captain Boomies. Ahoy, hoy. <laughs> ahoy, ahoy, Oh, my Captain. goodness. That was some introduction, let me tell you. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Thomas. It's been a pleasure knowing you. Um, uh, remind me to murder you later, though. Okay. We, we all okay. Um, that's <laughs> fine. Um, but, yeah, so so how did the two of you guys meet then? Captain? Well, we actually, yeah, thank you so much. So um, we we connected over a mutual appreciation of comedy and then met in real life quite randomly in at a bar and chatted and and figured out that we actually had a lot more in common because we started talking about boats. Um, I have was a uh, I've been a professional sailor for more than 20 years now. And Tom was telling me about uh, his time working for the water taxis in Boston. I know some of those folks. <laughs> like, so we had a great time uh, scuttlebutting about that. That's what I'll say about that. Otherwise, I'm going to get in trouble. You guys are going to get me in trouble. Oh, I haven't, oh. If I haven't gotten in trouble yet, we're not going to get in trouble. <laughs> 
we're not sure that you haven't gotten in trouble yet, Tom. But um, come to think of it, I did. But that was just me. That was just you, and then that and that's You're safe. So, 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 Captain, tell me more about about this life. How how were you attracted to becoming a sailor? Is this something that was in the family? Something that, that appealed to you as a young kid? Tell us the story if you can. Yeah, I grew up sailing. I'm cheating big time. Uh, my father had me on boats before I could walk. He's, there's pictures of me in those baby carriers that they strapped to the front of my dad. And he's hauling on lines on a sailboat. And there I am drooling on him. And it was perfect. Um, you know, jump forward to going to camp for sailing and then teaching at the camp for sailing. And then the boats just kept getting bigger every summer until I finally actually needed to get some kind of licensing so that insurance wouldn't have a problem with some brat taking out real adults uh, to go cause trouble on the high seas. Eventually, I got so big for my britches that I ended up on some 100 to 200 plus foot private yachts. And that was a really interesting transition to being a professional, professional sailor. It suddenly the level of work expected was so much higher. The level of professionalism was so much higher. The hours were so much more. You didn't go home at night. You went to sleep. You were at work. You woke up. You were at work. And you were expected to be there at exactly the time that they needed you to be there. Otherwise, everybody dies. And that was oh. some some intense kind of pressure. Um, but I'm I'm now semi-retired from that. I still will take on deliveries here and there, but it's a hard life to live, as you can imagine, when you're literally awake and at work. So, so tell me more about that. If you're not there, people can die. Because I, I'm. So when boats are on the ocean making transits, there's somebody has to be awake at all times. And if you are on watch, that means you are the person who is responsible for the vessel while other people are resting or sleeping. So you have to have all of the the skills and knowledge and capabilities to respond to anything that's happening underway if you are not there that means somebody who needs rest is having to stay on watch and you're letting them down you're letting down the whole boat because a, a tired seafarer is a problematic one. So many major ship accidents can be traced back to inappropriate rest time for sailors. That's why there's a lot of laws that go into this now for professional mariners. So there must be some, I mean, you, you talked about a license. So can mm -hmm. you just tell me a bit about that? Is, is there a particular size boat that you Sure. Uh, so my particular license, I have a 200 ton U.S. Coast Guard master license, and that means that I am allowed to 
be the master of vessels not to exceed 200 gross tons. That's not a, a length. That's going to depend on the ship's holding capability. It's a pretty small license in the scale of things, um, but it does mean that I'm I'm eligible to run a 100-foot yacht easily. Uh, it gets a little iffier when you start talking about like big cargo ships. Those people need like unlimited tonnage licenses. Uh, since I think the next step up is like is below them is 1600. So if that gives you sort of a scale of where I am in the hierarchy, there are smaller licenses than mine, but uh, I, I don't feel very big <laughs> usually. Is this a training thing that you get? These? You have to take an exam. How, how do you get a license? Yeah, you have to spend sea time. So you wow. have to document days at sea. Wait, wait, is that a pun? No, it's <laughs> literal. So it's not doc. the doc. Oh, document, document. I'm so sorry. I missed sorry. that one. I do it, apologize. Didn't mean that doc. <sighs> document. Go on, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you have to document your sea time. And documenting sea time looks like while you are professionally sailing, you keep track of how many days you've done underway. You submit that to the Coast Guard as well as some more um, formalized training and a, a test. You have to take a test to prove that you have the knowledge and you have to get people to sign off on things that say, yes, this is not a crazy person, that I do trust them at the helm of a boat. I do trust them to be a competent sailor. Um, you have to pee in a cup. You have to <laughs> have a physical. There's a lot that goes into it to ultimately get your captain's license. Um, you need you a twick, which is a very long, arduous process where you get your photo taken. <laughs> what is it? So a transportation worker identification card is a document that the Coast Guard requires uh, to prove that you're it's actually the same background check as a um, global entry or pre-check, TSA pre-check. It's the same. It's the exact same uh, background check. They're basically just looking to see if there's anything suspicious mm -hmm. where you might be trying to bring something not so good into the country. So this is an, an element five. There isn't like a, a twig to this, right? Oh, boy. <laughs> Yeah. Man, I love you. <laughs> you are so my people. I was very nervous coming into this because I had heard your voice and you look exactly the way I expected you to. Very <laughs> handsome, by the way. That's about you, Mark. <laughs> and I was like, am I going to be sitting on a couch talking mm -hmm. about my feelings <laughs> about boating? I don't yes. know what's going to be happening here. Yes, um, and yes. <laughs> I cannot wait to hear about her YouTube channel. Yeah. Can we talk about the YouTube channel for a brief moment? That'd be great. Captain? I'd love to talk about it. Let's yeah. Let's do it. I yell about boats on the internet. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> I can't. And I really love my YouTube channel. I actually use my YouTube channel more to encourage people to go out there and try boating for themselves. And I'm sort of going after the intermediate boater, somebody who has just enough knowledge out there to be dangerous. 
but needs to understand maybe a little bit more. So one of my favorite videos that I send to people all the time when they say, hey, we bought a boat, we had a good time, but I think I need some help. I send them to my rules of the road simplified video, which is one of my absolute favorites because I can break down the entire book of rules. There's uh, as part of the 72 coal regs, that's an internationally recognized book of rules. I can break it down into just two rules for everybody. So go check out that video. And then I also have a bunch of videos where I show you either me pulling off miracles by docking boats that are in trouble or in some kind of duress or are way larger than anybody should allow anybody to pilot ever. <laughs> I'm kidding. You should totally allow me to pilot them. Yeah. Or screwing up docking some very small boats that I had I should never have had a problem with because they're 20 feet and ridiculous. But I need you to understand that it's okay as long as your attitude about it is the same as my attitude about it, which is screw it up to the point that you can recover and then pull away, hmm. pull away and start again. I call it a victory lap. It's what fenders are for. That is... No, 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 no. I never hit a fender hard. Are you kidding me? That is not my MO. My process is that I do not approach a dock at a speed that I'm not willing to hit it. And so I think that's actually what has made me such a strategic helmsman because I think about docking a boat as though I'm throwing a dart and not so much as though I'm driving. Does that make sense? No, everybody's well, looking I at I'm I guess you, 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 I mean, you've driven, I guess, nicer boats because the commuter boats, it's a controlled crash. Like it's. Yes. A ferry boat is designed to pull up to the, the pier and then shove its engines on and literally blast at the dock. <laughs> like it's supposed to be engines full on holding itself to the dock. That is what they are designed for. But I'm coming from a world where the most important thing on this multi-million dollar yacht is the glossy, glossy finish of its paint job. And I just happen to be another attractive thing on this boat. I fully own the fact that I've gotten jobs because I look good on a yacht. But you can't let the yacht ever look bad. So even fenders can eventually rub paint until it's not shiny anymore. And nobody wants that. Has that, has that been a challenge at all being a woman captain? Is, is there a gender component to this? To people there is, but it's the opposite. Really? Um, because I am a woman captain, I am unique. But... I am unique in a way that makes me memorable. So if you have a stack of resumes and unusually in yachting in particular, you include a photograph of yourself on your resume. Hmm. It's one of these weird industries that I call it an industry. It's, I don't know how to justify calling it an industry, but it, it is. 
Uh, it's a weird practice where the owner of the yacht, it's fully private. They have expectations of how they want their vacation palace to be and who is on their vacation floating palace. So they there's this expectation that you should also look appropriate to the vessel. Hmm. So I did great with that. <laughs> I'm very cute. <laughs> so let's get back to the, the YouTube channel. How did you get that idea to do the YouTube? And what's the, what's the channel called? My channel is called Captain Boomies, B-O-O-M-I-E-S. It's plural. (laughs) Um, The the channel came about actually because I was angry. Mm. I was angry that I was in a West Marine, which is a very popular boating supply store. And somebody was in there telling another boater something that was wrong. And I got mad about it. <laughs> I got so mad about it that I was like, I need to yell about this in a in a place that more people will hear me. Um, so my very first video is actually about using 5200 marine adhesive sealant, or rather the fact that if you are just a casual boater, you should probably never use 5200 marine adhesive sealant. You should oh. probably be using something like 4,200. Thank you, Sailor Tommy. (laughs) Oh, man. And I I was furious. I was absolutely furious. And it, uh, I guess I get very motivated when I'm angry. Well, that's good. Anger is emotion designed to change things. It really is. It's one of the most powerful human emotions. Uh, And there's nothing wrong with anger. It's what you do with it. That's really important. You know, captains carry a a certain persona or a mythology i mean they are leaders is that fair to say absolutely and i know that we spoke about this pun off air leadership we're not talking about ships and captains and leaders but but you had mentioned off air that that leadership is an important part of of your mission as well can you tell us a bit more about that absolutely so one of the most important things that you do as a captain is you create upcoming sailors with the expectation that they will eventually themselves become leaders because it's it's a almost military hierarchy right the expectation is that you will raise up the ranks rise up the ranks that's a better way to say that so you, I had amazing leaders coaching me as I went from deckhand to captain. And it would be wrong to not honor them by providing the same level of leadership to the, the deckhands that I brought through the ranks. Um, in particular, I think about all of the times that I had not green crew, but crew that had been around a bit. I was their first woman captain. They weren't quite sure what to expect. And there was always this moment of, is this going to be different than it's been on other boats? 
And the reality is it's not. It's, hey, I'm here to support you in learning how to become me. Mm. <laughs> if you have a good captain, that's what they're doing. They're trying to teach you to become them. They're trying to teach you to replace them. And I've taken that everywhere in my life. Because yeah. all too common are the kind that try to suppress you. I mean, not so much captains, but definitely like mates. So the reason I became a mate was because I couldn't stand the people I would be, quote, under. Because it was a bunch of yacht club kitties, these perpetually hands on their hips, little D-bags, who I couldn't stand, the captains couldn't stand. So I guess anger was a motivator here, too. But it may, I guess it made me a better leader in that sense because I knew what not to do. Mm. And yeah, that's new to set an example instead of you know be a pedant. Yeah, and Mark, I mean, leadership is, is a major part of, of what you do and, and model. Yeah, I love what Thomas said too. Sometimes, uh, leadership is about what not to do, right? Mm. Learning what not to do, and I always say that you know, learning from people whether they're in a leadership position or not, oftentimes it's as important to watch and uh, follow their role when they're modeling for you, but also to sit back and say, ooh, not doing that, that's not effective because not all leaders are are built the same. And sometimes people are in leadership roles by default mm. and not necessarily earned. Yeah. I agree. I, th I think that the leadership is is not just modeling, but it is saying you can do this. Somebody else valuing them, respecting them. Um, what I tell the prescribers who work with me is, you know, they're really good at what they do, but they are the actual medicine. You know, it's not the Prozac; it's them. That the way they work with people, respecting them and valuing them helps that patient to trust them. And my guess is there has to be a lot of trust when you are working together, managing a ship. You're living together. You, you absolutely have to trust the person next to you. And I'll be honest, there's some part of me that now that I'm retired and running different types of businesses, I sort of miss telling people, Hey, I need you to do this or we'll all die. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so now the the trust, the responsibility, everything has to come from somewhere else, somewhere. I'm not going to say deeper. That's not exactly the word I'm looking for, but it's it's a motivation that feels different and yet is familiar. Because again, yachts have a lot of frou-frou nonsense where we just, everything has to be shiny and gorgeous, but there's also this level of everything has to be this way or we don't make it. One way to feel valuable. Yeah. <laughs> I, honestly, you know, I, I, the first time I was ever on a boat, I don't even remember because I was six months old and we were traveling from Cape Town, South Africa to England on a boat and there are pictures actually I'm looking at one right here of me as a little baby being held by my sister on this huge ocean liner going so uh and, and we've had other boat rides it's it's a remarkable part of our planet isn't it the ocean and then you're out there and that's 
all you see and being dependent on it and, and moving and it's it's remarkable and 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 we're talking off here about all the people that do make the passenger safe and each other safe and you talk about these hierarchies can you tell me so what what's the hierarchy what what starts captains Absolutely. at the top i'm assuming so, captains at the top okay um and usually just below the captain is a first mate. You can have a second mate. You can have a third mate on these larger container ship or cargo ships and cruise ships. Even they'll have many more people in between there. But generally the breakdown is captain, mate, deckhands. You might have a bosun stuck in there somewhere. Uh, you might have a purser, somebody who's responsible for all the money and receipts. You might have a um, stewardess or a chief stewardess or steward whose responsibility is the interior niceties. On the really big cruise ships, they actually have a massive uh, payroll of people who fit into a hierarchy in just the galley. Uh, the there's the executive chef, as you'd expect from a restaurant, but then they have the um, the trickle down of each sort of department has responsible chefs in order to run a 24 hour kitchen. Because when you're sailing, you can't always put into port every day. Mm. You might have to have responsibilities while you're underway for days. My favorite job on these big giant ships is the laundry stewards. <laughs> I think they have one of the best jobs. And I seriously considered giving up on my captain's trek at some point because I was chatting with some laundry stewards who were explaining to me that they just watch TV all day and eat leftovers and iron with the big rolling irons that they just put the things in but they're watching soap operas all day and having a fabulous time that is one thing i miss about being a deckhand was there's a lot it's a demanding job but at the same time there's a lot of hurry up and wait oh i yeah. got a, I got a lot of reading done <laughs> that was different when you were a mate tom nah i was basically just the better paid deckhands more or less who could drive the boat if the captain was incapacitated well, and this brings me to my mates. By the time I was captain, the mates on my boats were essentially doing my entire job. And that's how I knew I was good at my job was I never had to do anything other than make sure that the home office had everybody's payroll information correct. That was my number one and number two job every day. But more than that, I... You know, my other job was to make sure that everybody else was getting the morale boost that they needed, the education benefits that they needed in order to level up to the next stage and take pressure off of any department that was being overtaxed. For example, being a chef on a charter yacht is a very intense job. And you're responsible for not only provisioning and managing a, you know, three meals a day, but snacks and 
uh, and dietary restrictions and expectations that are absolutely through the roof for somebody that is paying a hundred thousand dollars for a weekend. Mm -hmm. And you're probably in a foreign country where you can't get access to all the things that you would normally have access to very easily. So that, that role became the rally point for most of my crews. Most of my crews worked the way I worked, which meant that we supported the chef. However, that worked, we supported them. And when we did emergency drills, we knew that the person with the least amount of maritime experience needed to be cared for the most. And so we would sort of use them as our guest um, of honor. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna call them that by developing our drills around making sure that person was cared for. Mm. And that that worked out really well for creating a a hub on which the entire crew would spin. We supported the bartender. <laughs> exactly you get it that was your chief that was your yeah your chief chef was the bartender <laughs> it sounds like such a community um what's the longest that you have been out at sea i mean the longest i've been at sea is 10 days the longest i've gone without being able to get off the boat is 34 Why literally never touching land because we were just so busy and we had a lot of projects that were absolute emergency projects. And I was sending other people ashore to handle the provisioning, the, the access. Um, we even had, uh, we, you know, we were anchored out. And so if I'm sending somebody ashore, it's not me. I need to send other people ashore because it's it's a privilege and a treat to get to go ashore in some of these beautiful places. And I'm not going to take that away from my crew. Mm -hmm. I'm going to send them instead. And all of that was really important. Uh, it's funny, though, because I I remember talking to other vessels while we were out at anchor. So we were out anchored at, in this one place that I, we were anchored next to a cargo barge and a dive boat and a couple other interesting vessels. And they all operated just a little differently than we did. And I remember having conversations with my crew about how, yeah, they're going to behave differently than us because their focus isn't their passenger. Their focus is their vessel or their cargo or their itinerary. Our focus is our guests. So yes, we are going to kill ourselves to make sure that our satellite internet is working and <laughs> our guests are going to be happy on board. They're going to kill themselves to make sure that they are on time arriving at the next location or that their cargo is appropriately stored. Interesting priorities. Mm -hmm. One. What's it like after 34 days when you actually step on land? Is, I'm sure people have all sorts of fantasies about that. Is there an adjustment in your 
vestibular yes. system? Um, there's a physical adjustment for sure. That's first. You notice land physically. There's a mm. phantom wobbling. Yeah, you you still feel like you're swaying, even though you're on perfectly still land. Yeah. There's a smell that you don't notice until you haven't had it for a long time. Huh. Land has a smell and it can be a little overwhelming. Hmm. You notice it when you're offshore, but it's even more pronounced. Uh, you notice when you're getting close to shore, let me say that. But even then it's faint and it gets more pronounced when you finally get there. And then the last thing is strangers. And I get excited about strangers when I've been at sea for a while. I'm probably too friendly when I get to shore. Uh, there's all kinds of, you know, sailors and ports and all. <laughs> it's it's for a reason. They They need to see other faces. They need to see other smiling humans i think i think we do take that for granted so often that uh, you know in any workplace right mark i mean tom where it's the same faces over and over again and you just yeah. sort of take that for granted and then all of a sudden you it's a sh it's a shock when it's gone so right after i left my job as a mate was it came all at once and i i've I've been told and because I figured it's it's it must be somewhat similar to what people just coming out of the service are like because you're around the same people love them or hate them but that's your group and you have that sort of emotional dependence on the other person being next to you but when yet you're out of that when you're on your own when you're in quote unquote the real world and you feel you've lost the protection of the group mm. it's terrifying yeah. for, for our time it's limbic, shifting from that familiarity and predictability to the unfamiliar and the unpredictable. Well, it's identity, right? It's your community, right? Yeah, it's your in-group. Absolutely. But I, I can understand being out at sea and it's almost more of a incarceration type of feeling, right? So where <laughs> are the humans? Where are the other humans? I want to go see the smiling face on the smelly island. What, what do you mean the smell? Help me understand the smell of the land. So you, I'm sure you understand it because most people, when they're driving to the beach, they say, oh, you can smell the ocean. Yeah. Right? So imagine that in reverse. Eventually, you do get used to the smell of the uh, ocean. And there is a reverse smell. It just takes a while because most people haven't spent enough time at sea to know that there is a difference. Huh. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> that was good. That was another pun. Did you get that? <laughs> perfect sense. Yeah, that's good. So with that in mind, there must have been at some point where you're faced with a scary situation, a dangerous situation. You have to draw upon all your knowledge to not just save your life, but everyone. Could you, any stories you want to share with us? Yeah. Every time somebody asks me about what's what's the scariest thing that's ever happened to you at sea, it's funny because I've mostly had fabulously boring uh, adventures on the high seas. 
because everything went exactly as it was supposed to and the weather cooperated and everything went exactly the way we said it was going to go. And it was boring. But early on after becoming a captain, it was one of my very first commands that I'd ever taken. So I was already like, I'm going to say high energy <laughs> about it and willing to try a little harder than I probably should have to, to pull things off. Um, I, and that got me in a bit of trouble. I was on a boat whose job was to take very wealthy people from Manhattan to their very fancy golf course. And I, I had pickups all over Manhattan. So I was basically the fancy version of what Tom was on the water taxi. <laughs> we had, I had a really cute mate who wore fabulously short shorts and served cocktails and we hauled golf clubs around and it was super gorgeous and lovely, but the boat was giving me trouble and I thought I had solved it, but I didn't call in an engineer to double check my work. And sure enough, we get about halfway across the Hudson river and I have a full shutdown. Hmm. It's a small enough boat that I don't have a generator. So an engine shutdown meant I'm totally dead ship. And it's a very smart, uh, it was an early smart system. So the it really limited what I could do. Um, it was a jet drive boat. There was no rudder, no nothing that I could really accomplish other than getting on the radio and <laughs> praying that this big cargo ship that I see coming down the Hudson River diverts course just a little bit so that they don't smash us to bits hmm. now cargo ships cannot pivot quickly that's not something that can happen so even though i've called them and they are very small right now they're gonna be huge in no time and i am terrified because behind me in the cabin are three triplet girls with their mother and they all have little blonde pigtails <laughs> and i'm thinking i'm going to murder these three little angels <laughs> because i have done a bad job as a captain so i get the mate and i say mate i need you to put life jackets on everybody i'm not 100 percent sure how we're going to get out of this but i also need you to be super calm and pleasant and that's going to be hard to do, but I really need this from you. I know we've drilled on some of this before, but please, please, please do it right this time. I will be figuring out a way to get away from here. I'm on the radio. I'm literally hailing this cargo ship. They're like, we'll do our best, but at you know, best case scenario, you're going to get waked to the point that you're going to, you're going to capsize anyway. That's best case scenario. So now I'm on the radio with any boat that I can see that might be able to drag us out of the way. And I do manage to get hold of one of the um, the shark boat. Like there in New York, there's this like 
uh, or the beast, I think they call it. One of these, one of these go fast boats. Oh, like a tourist boats. Yeah, yeah. It's a tourist boat that's like just goes fast and they play loud music and they have a great time. I managed to get one of them and and I I tell the captain, I'm like, listen, I'm in trouble. Please come help. I just need you to drag me, you know, 20 yards that way. <laughs> like, please, whatever it takes. And he does. So he comes along and they pretend like it's part of the party, which I was so impressed with from captain to captain. And I'm like, oh, look, little girls, see the big scary boat over there? Aren't they fun? Meanwhile, I'm like, I've already tossed a line and they are dragging us over to the Jersey side of the Hudson River. And and I'm I know that we're going to be okay. Like in that moment, I know we're going to be okay. The the cargo ship goes by. It's blocking out the sun as it goes. And I, I'm still holding it together. The mate has served cocktails. Nobody else knows that their life was almost over mm. <laughs> on wow. this boat. And I'm like, sorry about the inconvenience, but we're going to head back to the place that we came from since our... T- our official tow has arrived and they're going to take us back to the marina that we picked you up in and I'll have limos waiting for you to take you over to where your clubhouse is and everything will be okay. We get to the marina, sure enough, the limos pick them up. I put them in the limo. I wave goodbye, smiling the whole time. And then I turn around and I fell down and I started crying. Mm. <laughs> I, I was so done uh, from keeping it together for as long as I had to keep it together um, and not let people know that they were in jeopardy. And I'm not sure that was the right thing to do still to not let them know. But I also think that, I also think that it wasn't gonna help my crew. And that was part of my decision-making was I needed my crew to handle it. Yeah. It, it's a remarkable story. It illustrates so many different aspects of who we are as human beings and how you protect people, how other people come to your aid uh, when, when asked. And, and I think it makes sense. I mean, why, why create a panic when you can just hold it all yourself, Captain? <laughs> leader a leader a leader you know and and that that is a small change right i mean that decision small change with a big effect and that really gets us to the first of the two truths of the i am so the i am is saying we're always doing the best we can might not get it right but we're always responding to the four domains of your home domain the social domain the biological and the ic how i see myself how i think other people see me because these domains interact, a small change can have a big effect. You don't need to change everything. You demonstrated that with this story. But given what we're talking about tonight, Captain, what small change can you recommend to our listeners? I know that I had something prepared, but I feel like we didn't go anywhere near those topics. And I because I love and respect what you're doing and how you're encouraging other people to do this. I would say that 
I think that you should find leaders like Dr. Joe and emulate what they're doing. It works great on boats. So you should probably do it in real life. Hmm. I'm going to uh, withhold um, discussing that, but I'd really be interested what Mark and Tom think because I'm, my narcissism is intact. So <laughs> I think it's a great, I think it's a great strategy, a, a brilliant strategy. Yeah. The world would be a better place if everyone understood the I am approach. Yeah, that definitely, you know, we've talked about it before, but I think Dr. Joe, you know, you might've had a little bit to do with fishing me out of the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you, you did what I, what I said, you found good leadership, you recognized it and you started to emulate it. So I think that while you're saying to do it from the other side, which is to be the change, right? To be the thing that you want other people to pick up on. I think that other people can also find high quality people and emulate what they're doing or pick up on what they're doing and incorporate it into their own lives because that's how it works on boats. You find the best leaders possible. You work for them, you learn from them, and then you become that. You become the captain. Yeah. And I I think that that's a segue into our second truth of the I am. Everybody has one. Everybody's interested in what you think or feel about them, which has an effect on their biological domain because you know it feels different when you feel respected or disrespected this means you control no one you influence everyone you get to choose the kind of influence you want to be captain boomies at captain boomies youtube all the different things that you do what kind of influence do you want to be i want to encourage people to try and trying allows a level of humility that opens up everybody to learning. I think saying, I'm just going to try this means that you're capable of taking on other information and, and making those changes for yourself that are better, that are get you to the next level, that make you a better boater. Even if you had to get that information from some absolute comedian on the internet who needed to tell you how to tie your lines right, because I've got real hard personal opinions about it. (laughs) But I'm going to make it funny. Humor is a wonderful communicating tool. Use it a lot. It lowers cortisol response. It lowers our limbic response and makes us gives us an opportunity to be back in our prefrontal cortex where we are really doing the learning. So I think it's a, it's a wonderful technique that you're using with that. You know, we, we, we've spoken a lot, but I hope people are, are hearing this, that, you know, find yourself a good leader, become a leader, share that, remind people of their value, remind them that they can do it. That's what respect and value are all about. And that's what leads to that trust that you talk about among your crew. We are all in it together. And folks, we are actually all in this together. We're all in the same boat. 
Yes. <laughs> nice. in, and hopefully we're all rowing in the same direction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And with that in mind, Captain, thank you so much. That was terrific. My Oops. absolute pleasure. <laughs> Tom, Mark, wonderful. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you. Thank you.